Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Let's examine that sentence. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. The universe extends forever. Scientists now think that the universe actually wraps around itself and is more like the surface of a giant sphere than a flat disk. But that's nothing. Even considering it as a flat disk, it is unimaginably large. The Einstein's cross, is a couple of photos here, is estimated to be 13.5 billion light years away. That means it's 79,186,896 times 10 to the 15th. Take that bottom number there and add 15 more zeros to it. That's how many miles away the Einstein's cross that Jesus created is from us. You can't even begin to imagine how far away that is. And only so far, that's the farthest thing that we have seen from the earth. Isaiah 42.5 says, Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. In it. The universe, as the name implies, is a single reality. It is one reality. The entirety of the space time continuum from the beginning of time to the end is contained in this one universe. And there is, by the way, no other universes that exist only in the imagination of many who deny Christ. But. The universe is haunted. The universe is haunted by the unimaginably great spiritual presence of God and His messengers and those messengers who rebelled against Him. In the universe, there is matter, there is energy, and then there is information from the Word of God that energy... um, that arranges the atoms into life and bridges the gap between the merely physical and the spirit, which is personal and free. And Jesus is the Lord of all that. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. God is bigger than the sun which can fit one million earths into its sphere. God is bigger than the solar system which extends 3.67 billion miles. God is bigger than the superstructures like the Sloan Great Wall. There's no picture of it. Which 
is made up of thousands of galaxies and form the backbone of what we know of as the universe. Not only that, but God is even bigger. Watch this name. The name is the huge, large quasar group and consists of 73 quasars and measures 4 billion light years across. It's the biggest single structure we know of in the universe. And God holds that together. Amen. God is better than that. God is smaller than the hydrogen atom. And it takes a trillion, trillion hydrogen atoms combined with um, oxygen to make a single drop of water. God is smaller than the subatomic particles, the neutron, the proton, the electron. God is smaller than the sub-subatomic particles, the quarks, and even the strings that make up the quarks and the neutrinos. And these strings that the scientists believe make up these sub-subatomic particles are the voice of God speaking them into existence and holding them together. Jesus spoke the universe into being. His word is, it is His word that gives birth to all things. John tells us, in the beginning was the word. And this word is what actively makes the universe possible from the hydrogen atom to the huge quasar groups in the sky. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is closer to you than the air you breathe. Not only that, Jesus keeps your body living. He knows it better than Dr. Oz. Jesus keeps your heart beating. He knows it better than Dr. Oprah. Jesus keeps your stomach working. He knows it better than Dr. Emeril. Jesus keeps your mind thinking. He knows it better than Dr. Laura Schlesinger. And Jesus can keep your shoulder limber even when Dr. Spoo is working on it. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Jesus is easily the smartest, wisest, most powerful, biggest, most intimate, financially astute, politically clever, relationally savvy person you know. Jesus understands your insides intricately. He understands your relationships intimately. He comprehends your struggles. He not only knows your future... But he holds it in his hands. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. And this God, this Jesus, the greatest of persons in the universe, loves you extravagantly. Romans 5.8 God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still in active armed rebellion against the king of the universe he sent his son jesus christ to die for us jesus is the greatest person in the universe not only that but jesus is the greatest person in the universe what do i mean when i say that jesus is a person 
Jesus makes decisions. Jesus has emotions. He thinks. He feels. He chooses. He loves. He hates. He sings. He dances. Jesus even tells jokes. I mean, really, could you imagine me with hair? Come on, where's the... Got to show the picture. Or could you imagine Chet Harder in a suit? Jesus is a person because he is his own center of consciousness, just like you are. Jesus is not God the Father. Jesus is not God the Spirit. But he is in complete harmony with them and acts in cohesion with them always and forever as a perfect person among perfect persons. Not only that, but Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the one who chose what atoms that would make life would be. Jesus is the one who held them in their shape and protected them. Jesus is the one who breathed life into them so that they could reproduce, maintain a metabolism, and respond to stimuli. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is also the sustainer of life. Jesus is the giver of water. He is the living water. Jesus is the giver of bread. He is the living bread. Jesus is the giver of oxygen. He is closer to you than the oxygen riding on the backs of the red blood cells going through your veins and arteries. Jesus is the sustainer of life. Jesus is also the giver of new, abundant, and eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. And behold, listen, look, pay attention. The new things have come. John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And have it abundantly, fully experiencing the greatness of God. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Beginning from the moment you begin to trust God as your Savior to the end of eternity, which we don't even know. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Not only is Jesus the greatest person in the universe, but Jesus is the greatest person. Jesus is the one who brings mercy. 1 Peter 1.13 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection from Jesus Christ from the dead. And Jesus is the one who brings grace. Acts 15.11 But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as everyone else who trusts those promises will be saved. And Jesus is also the one who brings justice. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Period. Jesus is easily the very best friend, the very best counselor, the best confidant, best judge, jury, and paroler. Jesus is the best king, the best guide, and the very best hope you can ever experience. Jesus is the best of the best into 
in looking into your heart and meeting your deepest need and your understanding your most longed for desire and your most crying bitter pain. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe and he is the greatest person in the universe. Now, this is a good question. How do we measure greatness? Well, I came up with several ways we can measure greatness. We can measure greatness of a master by the power and the honor of that master's servants. Jesus is served by men and angels, and as we sang a few moments ago, by all of creation. We can measure the greatness of a craftsman by the marvel of their work. Jesus crafted you. We can measure the greatness of a lover by the greatness, by the wonder of his gifts. And Jesus reached down and he pulled you up out of the mire and saved your soul. We could measure the greatness of a king by the greatness of his mercies. Jesus wiped away your sin and separated them as far from you as the east is from the west. Jesus forgave you before the foundation of the earth. Jesus forgave those who trust him at the cost of his life on the cross. Jesus forgave you completely with no caveats, qualifications, addenda, stipulations, or regulations. You don't need a lawyer. Jesus blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Jesus also blessed you with many physical blessings. Jesus blessed you by making sure that everything in your life will work together for the good of those who are called by his name. Jesus blessed you by equipping you with everything you need to do his will. By the way, that is an enormous promise in itself. Jesus equipped you with the Holy Spirit to know Him. Jesus equipped you with your time, your talents, and your treasures so that you, you, right where you are, can be an integral, important, fantastic part of building His kingdom, like leading five little kids by the hand through Awana, not this week, but next week, or by coming here on Sunday morning and helping this to be friendly, grace. Baptist Church by greeting people at the doors. You are a part of His kingdom. Don't miss out on the blessing. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Now that we've settled that, I want to read the passage that we will be working towards this week and next week we will spend the time examining We find it in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes in 12, 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, one of our jobs as pastors is to teach you to teach yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit from God's word. And so, among other things, what we like to do is to teach you key words to look for. And whenever you find a connective 
in the Bible, you need to find out what two things it's connecting. And a very important one right here is this word, therefore. And every time you find a therefore, you have to find out what the therefore is there for. Yeah, I know, that's a dumb one, but it still makes me laugh inside. So what, what is going on here in Romans chapter 12? Well, I'll tell you. What is happening is Paul is taking Romans 1 through 11, the whole kit and caboodle, and he's saying, now that this is true, now we, I'm going to tell you how you should live in Romans 12 through 16. And so, what's going on? In Romans, Paul gives himself the task of explaining the good news of Jesus Christ. And in order to do this, he, I'm going to use a railroad analogy. And on this railroad, he has two tracks. And he has these two major themes that run straight through the book of Romans. On one track is what is new about the gospel. What is new, what hasn't been explained before. And the other track that he goes down through in Romans is he wants to explain how what is new is an extension or a continuation of what is old. You have to understand that if you're going to understand how Romans fits together. What is new and how does what is new be a continuation of what is old? So he gives a brief introduction in the first 15 verses of Romans 1, and then he declares the gospel. He tells you what the gospel is, and he simultaneously explains the divisions of Romans. And we see this in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is this gospel, Paul? In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or as the NIV, I think, correctly translates it, beginning in faith and ending in faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And if you have either an ESV, English Standard Version, or an NIV, New International Version Bible, you'll see in the margin, it will say that this is more literally translated, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. And I think if you take it that way, you understand his two-part division in Romans. He's going to explain how one is by faith righteous in chapters 1 through 4. And then in 5 through 8, he's going to explain how they then live. And if we are to have faith, righteousness, if we are going to become righteousness, event, righteous in heaven finally, it will be by faith. But there's bad news. The bad news is that no one is righteous. And Paul goes into, right in the next verse, in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Boy, don't we see that every single day in our culture? Don't we see that every single day in our own heart? Oh, sorry. Step away from meddling, get back to preaching. This is the lot of every single one of us. Every single one of us. Nevertheless, Paul expands on this theme. He continues by first declaring his judgment. 
the judgment of God against those who would presume to judge. Romans 2.1 Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, who condemns his fellow, fellow person because of their sin. For in passing judgment, in condemning others, another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. But that's not enough because every single one of us deserves condemnation. Why? Because no one ever actually lived up to God's law except Jesus. And Paul explains that in Romans 3.20. He says, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I want to talk to you who have been Christians for a long time. You who grew up in the church. Don't think that you can say, Oh, I've been going to Sunday school since I was six. I'm good. You're not good. Why? Because we know that knowing the law only points out your own sin. That's the purpose. That's one of the purposes of the law. But in the very next verse begins the most important paragraph in the entire Bible. What it takes the rest of the Bible to state and clarify and expound upon. Now, we're about to go through deep waters. Stay with me. This might be a little tough, but we're going to get through it together, okay? And if you need some help getting through this, I wish I could take the time, but come and talk to me later. We'll expound upon it. But this is the most important paragraph in the Bible. Now... The righteousness of God, how we get right with God, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, this righteousness of God is through faith, through trusting the promises of God for you in Jesus Christ for everyone who believes. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are declared righteous. We are justified by His grace as a gift. And this gift comes through the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins that is found only in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation. A propitiation is a sacrifice that turns away wrath. In this case, the wrath of God against our sin. And this propitiation is by His blood and is received by faith, by trusting Him. Now this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, in His patience all the way through history, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just, He does what is right, and the justifier, the one who is able to speak righteousness into our account, of the one who has faith in Jesus. My friends, even if you didn't get all that, Jesus is the greatest person in the universe because of what He has done for us. Listen, this paragraph says to us that we are saved not because of things that we do or don't do. We are saved because Jesus bore the wrath of God on behalf of everyone who would trust Him for that forgiveness. God proved Himself to be just, the one who does what is right, because He swore to Adam and Eve that they would die when they sinned. But they didn't die. They continued living and breathing and bore our great-great-great-grandfathers. 
And it took Christ on the cross to demonstrate that God was neither a liar nor was he incompetent to achieve his goal, and that is to bring us into a relationship with him. Jesus, the very best, the greatest person in the universe, did this by bearing the weight of the condemnation that Adam and all of our family and all of us deserves because of our sin. That is why God could be just. He didn't lie. Sin was punished with death. And He could justify. He could declare those righteous who trusted His promises as undeserving of death. Okay, that was the deep waters. If you didn't get all that, stay with me. Now we're going to get swim back to the shallow end a little bit. Because then, in Romans chapter 4, Paul explains everything he just did at the end of chapter 3 by giving us an example. And the example that he gives us is Father Abraham. As an example that he proves that every single person is saved simply by trusting God at His Word. Romans 4.16, he says, That's why it, salvation, depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. If you have trusted God's promises, you are Abraham's offspring. Not only to the adherent to the law, to the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, I've got to tell you, This is outstanding news. This is incredible news. This is better news than the economy going up. This is better news than your favorite football team winning the championship. This is great news. My friends, this is what changes everything. Because nothing else is important if our souls are not going to be saved. You are saved in Christ if you trust his faith-based, his promised covenant with Abraham, not because of anything you have done or not done, but because of his work. Which leads us to Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, we have been declared righteous by faith, by trusting the promises of God, you have peace. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have peace. Do you want that peace so that you can sleep at night? Do you want that peace so you can drive down the freeway and not be bothered out of your mind? Then trust the greatest person in the universe. Examine his many promises in the Bible and begin to believe them. And do that by living according to to those promises. But we have a problem. As always, the problem is us. If we are saved by grace through faith, then does it really matter how we live? Paul answers that question. 6, 1, and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Absolutely not. No way. How can you and I who died to sin still live in it? Of course it matters how we live. You are freed from the law, but your freedom should only draw you closer to the one who freed you. And as that happens, you will never want to sin again. But because we are human, there's another problem. You and I are trained by years of living on this planet 
to do what? To sin. It's what we do best. And Paul records his own struggle with sin in his flesh. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. And he writes, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God does through Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of the sin. Jesus Christ is the greatest person in the universe because our Lord Jesus saves us from the living death of being buried in guilt from our sin. And then, one of my absolute favorite verses in the whole Bible, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the Mount Everest of the Himalayas of the Bible. Do you want hope, grace? Your hope is found right here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is your hope, Dad. You who struggle to provide money, nurture, discipline, love, and strength to your family. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is your hope, Mom, who struggles to help her all-too-human husband. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is your hope, single adult, who trusts the Savior to provide all your needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is your hope, senior, who struggles to press on to do good works for the kingdom all of your life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is your hope, pastor, who struggles with failures within and failures without. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Your hope and mine is in the fact that Jesus is the greatest person in the entire universe. And Paul presses on. He makes a shift in his book. And he tells us that we will not win this victory on our own strength. In 9.16 he says, So then this salvation depends not on human will. How often I have self-discipline or strength, exertion, but on God who has mercy on your soul. Nevertheless, You can have victory in the good news. You can be saved, Romans 10. But what does it say? What does God's Word say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. This Word of you can trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, redeemed from the penalty of our sin. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want the the conscious cleared that you will never be put to shame? I do. And Paul goes on, and I w- there's so much more Romans I wish that I could say. But Paul, in ex- explanation of the gospel, he's crying 
with his people. He's happy with his people. He's exhorting the Romans and us. And he's telling us this good news. And he finally gets all the way to the end of Romans 11. And he sings. He can't control himself any longer. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You guys aren't awake. You guys got to say amen. Thank you. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. So there's your introduction to the sermon. I gave you two introductions that make the same point. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. So that you can be prepared. Next week we are going to examine this passage. And we're going to learn what it means to live in light of the fact that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. How you, right now, in the life that you are living, not in some pie in the sky, great by and by, how you, this afternoon and this week, can learn to be a person who lives in light of the fact that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. So now that we've done that introduction, we can look one more time at our text. And I want to leave you with this. Paul says, I appeal to you, brethren, because Jesus Christ is the greatest person in the universe. In light of that fact, I'm appealing to you. I am exhorting to you as Paul did nearly 2,000 years ago to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How are you going to make your life a living sacrifice? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. And that is where the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and give you that application. But may I offer one suggestion? Tomorrow begins the month of Ramadan in the Muslim calendar. And we have these booklets. They're scattered throughout uh, the lobby out there. And this is an opportunity for you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice by taking each day, reading this one page and taking a moment to pray for your Muslim brothers and sisters. They need your prayer. And if indeed Jesus Christ is the greatest person in the universe, this is an opportunity for him to impact your life. And it is also an opportunity for you to be a part of the means that it will be for these billion people to come to Christ. Don't miss this opportunity. Take it to recognize that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. And come back next week and we'll talk more about that.